This is like stuff that I should know from my undergrad, but um Welcome to the podcast where we don't remember <laughs> anything from our undergrad, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah basically. <laughs> podcast where we beam out knowledge our microphone splits it into different directions and then it gets recombined into your ears (laughs) and we hope that it interferes in a coherent manner that's a very very specific tagline for you (laughs) (laughs) gosh i wonder what we're talking about this week Uh, my my name is beth and i am uh, particle physics PhD student at Sapienza University of Rome. And my name is Alistair and I'm an analytical chemistry PhD student at Queen's University. And my name is Sienna. I am a neuroscientist PhD student at McGill University in Montreal, Canada. And we're the PhD three. To be. Yay. I'm going to commit to that even though it's super corny. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. <laughs> <laughs> you would. I mean, it's now in, and it's going to be part of our branding forever. Well, until we get PhDs, then we'll be the PhD3 full stop. It's bold of you to assume that we're all going to get our PhDs. (laughs) (laughs) What a palaver. (laughs) All right, let's jump in. Today, we are going to talk about interferometry. So, let's start with what you guys know about interferometry. Well, from the name, I can infer. <laughs> Isn't that... it interfer? Ooh, wait. Okay, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna revise my answer then. Okay. Um, it's not about inferring; it's about interfering. <laughs> is it okay? Actually, I think I know what it is, because ometry tends to be like measuring of, right? Measuring. Hmm? Sure. Measurement of. Measurement yeah. Are we measuring yeah. interference? Yes, that is exactly what we're doing, and yet I'm hopefully not going to talk very much about interference at all in this episode, um, because... <laughs> but does, is, this, is this that big experiment that's like buried underground in the United States that looks at the laser that wobbles? Like, yes, and also no. They're just... Okay. Where, how do you know about that, Alistair? So, okay, Where so... Where did that come from? I think, okay, it's a physics thing. Wait, really? Yeah. (laughs) A big experiment underground with a laser is a physics (laughs) thing? Shocking. No. (laughs) Shocking. Scientists repurposed another mine for, yeah, it's an experiment um, that is looking for gravitational waves. Yep. Which are very difficult to detect, and so you need a very, very large detector. Just like you, well, kind of like you need a really big satellite dish to look into the deep space, you need a very, very big experiment to measure gravitational waves. It seems that if you're looking for something that's very hard to find, you need big equipment to do it. And the way that it works is it fires a laser pulse along this track, and then at the end there's a reflector and it bounces back. And you have two of them fired at each other? You're, like, taking over my entire episode here, honestly, like... <laughs> oh, okay, this, no, but this is... Okay, okay, I'll stop. No, no, this is a really good explanation. Okay, so um, I just want to pick up on the bit where you said that to look into complicated things, you need a really big experiment because 
you've literally summed up the entire modern field of physics. Like, I mean, okay, right, there are a few weirdos who, like, do, like, quantum mechanics on their desktop tables or something. I don't know. Or, like, have clean rooms or I don't know what. But, like, any interesting science we all know is done with really, really big machines. That's my that's my hypothesis. That's my TED talk. I, I can't. I can't refute that. We use big machines in chemistry. Yeah, but your your huge machine is actually really small. Comparatively, sure. Your huge machine sits within a room. Okay. And doesn't take up all of the room either. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> so I would I would say all good physics happens with very big machines. I was gonna say like, <laughs> all good science happens with. <laughs> Big machines is showing your bias, Beth. <laughs> <laughs> I will come out on the record and say that all good science is physics. Oof. Oh, wow, a... I think we're going to have to cancel Beth. I'm obviously joking. I'm obviously joking before we get emails and... Alistair, you want to take this <laughs> podcast and leave? Yeah, okay, so this episode today is about <laughs> interferometry. And uh, we've decided to interfere with Beth's podcast <laughs> by <laughs> stopping it. <laughs> before people email in at phd32b at gmail.com um or tweet us at not yet a dr or um send us a facebook message or on instagram where we are not yet a dr everywhere come and find us wait are you plugging the social medias in your episode this is very smooth (laughs) so subtle (laughs) no not at all before we get hate comments i just want to say i was entirely joking I have a lot of respect for the science that you guys are doing and it's really interesting and a lot of very interesting science happens with small experiments as well. I know. I know Disclaimer, you were. Disclaimer. Beth was joking. <laughs> <laughs> but if you but if you look at the realm of physics, like the neutrino experiment that we were talking about happened in a huge abandoned mine. Yeah. And you know, underground yep. in this big argon bubble. The Large Hadron Collider, looking at dark matter and stuff like that, is a large collider. takes up an, almost an entire country. I think it goes 20, into two countries, 26 kilometers circumference, if I'm not wrong. Yeah. Let me check that. Okay, 27 kilometers. I was pretty much right. And I think you're going to talk about this cool experiment in the States. And there's another one somewhere else in the world that's large and underground. Okay, I don't want to disappoint you. What? Um, because I realized that I, I, when I told you what we were going to be talking about, I told you that we were going to be talking about gravitational waves and stuff. But in researching this episode, I came to the conclusion that, because I wanted to talk about interferometry, I wanted to talk about two different experiments to do with interferometry and using interferometers. And I realized that even the first experiment is definitely enough for a whole episode of a podcast. So consider this part one of two. Okay. When part two of two will be, I don't know. We'll have to work that out. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I love this cliffhanger already. Yeah, me too. I'm here. I am so here for series. Um, I think our listeners are too, but we'll find out, I guess. If they stick around until episode nine, then hopefully they'll stick around for the series of interferometry. Sorry, friends. Okay. Before we work out what an interferometer is, we're going to start with what interference is. Mm, Okay. Okay. 
And before we work out what interference is, we're going to talk about waves. Mm-hmm. So most of us probably, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably have enough interest in science to know that light can be both a wave and a particle, depending on the circumstance. And that is very interesting. That's quantum mechanics. That's a whole interesting branch of physics. But that's not what I'm going to be talking about today. So today we're just going to be considering light as a wave. And if we want to think about waves, if we want to visualize waves, a good example would be, let's say, water waves. So we know what happens. Like if you drop a pebble directly from above onto into some water, then you get ripples that spread out, right? Mm-hmm. And if you drop one pebble in one place and then another pebble slightly further over, then those two sets of ripples at some point will meet and will change and they won't look the same as they did before because they'll be adding up in places and they'll be one of them will be lower than the other one. So if if the amplitude of the wave is at a particular point is higher than the baseline level of the water, then the waves will add up and you'll get an increased amplitude um, in the result. And amplitude is just the height of the wave, right? Thank you. Yes. So the height or the trough of the wave, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. And if one of them is lower, then it will subtract from the other one because obviously the water from the higher one is like falling into that trough from the second one and the amplitude, the height of that ripple will be lower at that point than it would be otherwise. And if you have one that's positive and one that's negative, they will cancel out and it'll just be the flat. Yeah, so exactly. So if they're exactly the same... If they're of the exact same size. Yeah, if one of them is... If one of them is above the baseline level and one of them is below the baseline level by the same amount, then they'll add up and they'll be back to the baseline level and you won't know that there were any pebbles anywhere Mm. in the universe. Oh my god. Interestingly, this is also how we get the cool shapes of molecular orbitals. I didn't really touch on this in my episode, but with the wave functions, it takes into account positive and negative probabilities of electron density and that's how you get these really cool teardrop shapes and stuff because it's it's the patterns more and less positive probabilities because if you got a negative probability that would be something very <laughs> interesting okay happening. yes yes sorry <laughs> yes but um, um jargon aside but yeah yeah <laughs> jargon about molecular orbitals aside <laughs> what our listeners need to know is that ripples if they're tall will add together and become taller if they're deep, they'll mm-hmm. add together and become deeper. And if they're tall and deep, then they will even out. Yeah. And create cool patterns. Yes. And crisscross applesauce. What? Right? Like, that's I, that's what I picture when two ripples hit each exactly. other. Exactly. It creates kind of, like, often this, like, meshy, crisscrossy, applesaucy look in the water of, like, ripples in different ways. Beth, are you not familiar with the concept of crisscross applesauce? No. Well, let let us educate you. <laughs> Wait, is this... I hate it when we discover new Canadian things that I just thought were things, you know? There are so many <laughs> cultural differences that we stumble upon making this podcast. Uh, Sienna, do you want to explain crisscross applesauce? Crisscross applesauce is just sitting with your legs crossed, but it's just like a nice way of saying things that cross. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's so weird. Alright, back to physics. Back to physics. Yeah. So, now that we have an understanding of waves, 
we can start talking about light. And we've known since 1873, which is when James Clerk Maxwell published his work on electricity and magnetism, we've known that, that light is an electromagnetic wave. So this was even thought about way before, like even Newton was thinking about waves of light or rays of light, I suppose he was talking about, but this is an old idea that was then formalized into maths by, by Maxwell. Um, incidentally, if you've ever heard the name Maxwell before, it's the same Maxwell. He did like everything. He studied everything and he has an entire Wikipedia page devoted to things that are named after him. Unless you're thinking of Maxwell Coffee? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. He did the Boltzmann distribution, right? The Maxwell Boltzmann distribution? Okay. Yep. Same guy. Same, same guy. Okay, so so when you have a wave, if you have a traveling wave, you, you need three properties to describe it. You need the amplitude, which is how high it is. You need its phase, which is where it starts, whether it starts at the peak or at the trough or somewhere in between. And you need the speed with which it's traveling. And so just to clarify on the point of amplitude, is the amplitude like the height from baseline or is it like the total height from bottom of trough to top of peak? It's measured from the baseline, so it will be half the distance from trough to peak. trough to the peak. Okay. So in the mid to late 19th century, they knew that light was an electromagnetic wave. And they knew what waves were because you can see them in the sea. You can see them when you drop stones into water. You can, uh, they already had a wave-like description of sound, I believe. And so they had some ideas of what waves are. And, reasonably, they thought to themselves, well, anything that's travelling needs something to travel through. So if you have a water wave, the water wave is travelling through water. If you have a sound wave, it's a wave travelling through air. So they said, okay, you've got a light wave, what medium is this travelling through? What is this travelling wave travelling through? We know that it travels because um, the sun is all the way over there. <laughs> all the way. Yes, it's all the way over here. All the way over there. <laughs> one day, <laughs> one day I will look up the distance between the sun and the earth, but today is not that day. Answer, it's far. I mean, I can tell you, in fact, I can tell you with absolute accuracy the, the distance between the sun and the earth. Are you ready for this? This is an astronomer special. Wait, can I first tell you what I know it to be? Yeah. It's at least two giraffe lengths mm. away. Mm-hmm. At least. That's true. Alistair, do you want to have a guess? Uh, I know that it is uh, about a, f- a few kilometers. Um, well, I can tell you, off the top of my head, without looking anything up, Yes. the exact distance between the sun and the earth, and maybe this will go some way to explaining why I gave up astrophysics, the distance between the, the sun and the earth is exactly one astronomical unit. No, really? Wow. They invented an entire unit based off this arbitrary length between these two random points of the universe. What a terrible unit, because it changes. Sometimes we're closer to the sun and sometimes we're further away. Take it up with the astrophysicists. I will. I was going to say, that's like a not very exact 
measurement. I revise my answer. The distance mm-hmm. between the Earth and the sun is approximately eight light minutes. Yes! Because yeah, I know true. that it takes about eight minutes. Yeah, it takes for... seven to eight minutes for sun- light to get here. Yeah, so... That is a much nicer, a much, much nicer unit. That is a unit that I can get on board with. Because we all know that because of all of the media and things that tell us what would happen if the sun went out suddenly. And it's always like, well, you wouldn't even know for seven to eight minutes. And then it would suddenly be very cold and you wouldn't know for sure. Not necessarily true. Not necessarily true. Well. One of the favorite um, pub quiz facts of a neutrino physicist is that... If the sun went off, yeah, you would know much sooner from neutrinos than from light. So you yeah. would, if you were detecting your neutrinos as you always should be, tasting them in your mouth. At taste the You would know that the sun had gone out way before the light went out outside. But I mean, obviously, firstly, if you were down in your neutrino detecting experiment bunker. You wouldn't know that the sun had gone out. You wouldn't know that the light had stopped going it's true. outside anyway. Because, But also, if you're a neutrino physicist, you probably live in a basement somewhere anyway, like, coding away. I was going to say, Beth, bold of you to assume that neutrino physicists are out at pub quizzes. <laughs> <laughs> They're in their bunkers detecting neutrinos. Waiting for neutrinos to go out. It's true, it's so true. So what you're saying is there's two camps of people. One camp will know based on light, and the other camp will know based on neutrinos. Yeah, which type of person yeah. are you? I know which type I am. <laughs> well, and, and it probably, like, if the sun did go out, we would know because the neutrino physicists would start raising alarm bells Panicking. seven minutes yeah. before the light went out. That'd be a good name of yeah. a book, so seven minutes before the light went out. I suppose, I suppose the moral of this story is if you ever see a neutrino physicist around, <laughs> get scared. <laughs> if you see a neutrino physicist running away from their bunker... Or into their yeah. bunker. Well, I mean, what do you do? Honestly, I'm so here for roasting different types of scientists. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly physicists. Especially physicists, because I feel like I have some skin in that game. Mm-hmm. Okay, but we're not going to get roasted, because the light is going to go out. So, tell us more. The sun is okay. eight light exactly. minutes away, yeah. or one astronomical unit. And so we can see that light travels. Yeah. So, the assumption is it must travel through something. What does it yeah. travel through? I'm very excited. Is it through pudding? <laughs> is it through... Should I just guess random things? Like, uh, Well, it can't be air. I was going to say like light travels no, through air. No, because sound but... sound dibs to be air, so... Well, yeah, and, and light travels through space, which is a vacuum, so... Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Good so point, does it just travel through particles? Travel through photons? Through dark travel matter. Through, through dark matter? Travel through light matter? Travel through uh, the... What is was it? The whims? The warm, hot-ish matter. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the warmish, hot-ish. What was the, the warm, warm, hot intergalactic, intergalactic medium? Yeah. Warm, does it travel through the warm, hot intergalactic medium? I must know. Okay, well, stick around because it's gonna be a wild ride. Today's sponsor is HelloFresh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know if we're allowed to leave that in, Alistair, because they don't sponsor us. What if they come for us? Who? I didn't say anyone's name. I just said HelloFresh. You don't know who I'm talking about. I could be... HelloFresh, how are you doing today? I'm not sure why we're jump- jumping back in, but um, we're going to jump back in by saying that, as Alistair correctly points out, light travels through space, which doesn't have 
air in it, which is essentially a vacuum. So if it's not travelling through some matter that we know of, thinking in a 19th century brain, mm-hmm. what is it travelling mm-hmm. through? This is a good question. It is a good question. And they thought about it, the thinkers. Yeah. And the thinkers, as they do. <laughs> <laughs> and they thinked up a solution, which they called okay. uh, the ether. Oh. Oh. <laughs> mm. uh, this, it, I'm sure it's an older word than the 19th century, but we're talking about 19th century science here. We're talking about 19th century theory and experiments. And yeah. there were basically two options by the end of the 19th century. Either the ether was stationary with respect to the sun, or it was moving with, with respect to the sun, basically. Those are the two options that are possible. So if it was moving with respect to the sun, then it's it could be possibly completely dragged by the earth. So it could just be pulled around by the earth. And whatever direction the earth was travelling in, the ether was travelling in that direction too. But that was discounted even before the experiment that I'm going to come on to talk about because various different experiments had shown basically that it didn't work. Without going into too much detail, it didn't work. So it was unlikely to be... Like, unless you, I don't know, make some significant changes to the theory, it doesn't really work. So can we just... Um, And then the other question... Can yeah. we back up a second? What is what is ether? Depends who you ask. Yeah, right. I'm not asking you, Alistair. I know what ether is to you. <laughs> the ether is this theorized medium that light would travel through. So it would essentially be like water is to water waves or air is to sound. Huh. It, is that clear? I mean, I guess. It sounds probably as clear as it is for anyone, I guess. If that's it, the, was a theoretical, a theorized. Yeah, it was a theoretical yeah. medium. So, theoretically clear. Yeah. yeah, it would be the thing that light would travel through that would allow light to move like a wave exist, and that would allow light to get from one place to another. Okay. So it would be something that presumably exists in all of space. Mm-hmm. At least we know that it exists between... It would exist if it existed. It would exist bet- between us and the sun in that vacuum. Mm-hmm. So you can then presumably think that it would exist in all of space. Mm-hmm. And as I say, there were two options for the movement of the ether. Either it was essentially maximally dragged by the Earth, so that means that it just followed the Earth around everywhere. Yeah. Or it was stationary with respect with respect to the sun mm-hmm. those were the things that people were thinking or at least at least it wasn't stationary with respect to the earth so at least as the earth moves through the ether mm-hmm. as it moves around so the earth is moving around the sun sorry um earth-centric people um to flat earthers believe that the Earth is the center of the universe? I don't think so. Is that another thing they believe? Uh, I don't think so. Unclear. Unclear on that I fact. think flat earthers aren't clear on their own beliefs, so... I think we've made it clear that flat earthers are very welcome to listen to our podcast, but, like, mm-hmm. 
maybe they won't find it as life enhancing as as other people yeah i mean all of this physics works with a spherical earth so unfortunately yeah. <laughs> you mean the earth yeah. you mean you mean the earth so either the ether is maximally dragged by the earth or it's not or as the earth travels around the sun and the solar system travels around the galaxy and we move in space the relative direction of the earth and the ether is not always constant okay is that reasonably clear mm-hmm. ish so yes so the ether could be a traveling medium basically so it could it's either traveling or it's stationary those are the two options what would be a travel like what is a traveling medium where would it be moving? Like would, would air be a traveling medium? Yeah, air is a traveling because you medium. Because you can have air flow with things that are flowing through air, right? Yeah, and if you remember back to classical mechanics, I don't know when you might have studied it. Oh. No. But if you, if you have ever thought about classical mechanics, which maybe you haven't, you will know that movement is always relative yes i remember that and i hated that section of classical mechanics that was my least favorite part right but it's important in the sense that you can't say if you if you and somebody else are both traveling at constant speeds yes you can't say oh she's moving i'm not moving or i'm moving she's not moving like, neither of those really make sense. You can only say, she's re- moving with respect to me, and I am also moving with respect to her. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, here, me and my friend are um, the sun and the ether. the ether. Who wants to be my friend, and who wants to be the other friend? Who's the earth? Who, who wants to be the earth? I'll be the earth. Okay, then Sienna and I are on a train. I want to be the ether. Okay, you can be the ether, and I'll be the sun, but because of my solar personality. My sunny personality. (laughs) So Sienna and I, the sun and the ether, are sitting on a train together. Yes. And we see the earth fly by. Who's Alistair? (laughs) Wee! Wait, wait, I I can do this. Wee! (laughs) Stop using the Doppler effect. We get it. (laughs) So Alistair's moving with with respect to us. We're moving with respect to Alistair. But we're not moving with respect to each other. Yes. Okay. So the so the ether so can means... be stationary with respect to the sun, but can be yep. moving with respect to the earth because the earth is whizzing by the ether yeah. and the sun, which are both stationary, and exactly, the sun is also moving with respect to the earth. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, exactly. So the earth is watching and it sees the ether and the sun move by, but it doesn't know if it's moving or if the sun and the ether are moving together. Basically, yes. Okay. So, the hypothesis for the base for the experiment that i'm going to be talking about is based on the idea that if you if you instead so now we're gonna get rid of our personalities as earth ether and sun mm-hmm. um but we're gonna oh i liked being the earth but we're gonna stay on the same trains i'm sorry uh, i'll see if i can bring it back okay um except alison now you've got off the train bye alistair oh okay can I, can I get off at uh, Cockfosters? <laughs> I thought this is a family-friendly show. It's a station in London at Cockfosters. You can get off at Cockfosters, and Sienna and I are going to stay on the 
Or maybe we're going to get off the train too, and we're going to get on to okay. a really, really, really long horse-drawn cart. <laughs> is the horse really long, or is the cart really long? <laughs> <laughs> I like that joke. No, the cart's really long. The cart's so long that we can run up and down it. So we're going to get off the trains, and we're going we're gonna to okay. stand in a London park. And... Uh, there's going to be one person on the ground and one person, at least one person in this. No, let's put two people into this okay. really, really long cart that's drawn by a horse or by another friend or or some okay. electrical device So what I'm hearing is Sienna's standing in Hyde Park and I'm pulling a cart that, Beth, you're standing on that's really, really long. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that sounds about right. So... If Sienna starts... Sienna's in the cart, right? She's the one standing in the cart. No, Beth, you are in the cart. I'm in the park. Oh, my bad. So if um, Alistair just starts pulling the, the cart at a constant speed, then I will just... Sienna will see me moving with a constant speed. Yes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. If I then start running from the back of this cart towards the front of the cart that Alistair's pulling forwards... Then Sienna will suddenly see me moving with a higher speed, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Yeah. If I start running from the front of the cart to the back of the cart, as Alice is pulling me forward, then Sienna will see me traveling with a lower speed, right? Sure. Mm-hmm. Or potentially you could look stationary. If I, yeah, if I was running backwards at exactly the same speed that you were pulling it yeah. forwards, yeah, exactly, I would look stationary. Yeah. Whereas if I ran side to side across this cart, then Sienna wouldn't see me... It was, Sienna would see no difference in the speed that I was moving in, in the like forwards direction of the cart, right? So I'd still be moving... Do you mean like if you're running front to back, front no, to back? No, if I was moving side to side. Oh, if you... If, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're running like left and right a lot, around, along the cart. Exactly, yeah, yeah, You yeah. would still travel in yeah, the yeah, direction yeah. that the cart was being pulled. And no change in speed, yeah. at the same speed. At yeah. the same okay. speed. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Exactly. So, if we now imagine light through the ether, we would expect the same thing, right? If the light is travelling in the same direction as the ether, then it's going to get a boost, so it's going to be moving faster in that direction. Right. So, are you the light? Can we just clarify who is everything? Are you the light, Beth? And I'm the light. The cart is the ether. Well, the card is the ether, but I'm... You're dragging yeah, you're, the ether. I'm the force that you're pr- moves you're the ether, yeah. The ether manager. <laughs> cap on. All aboard! E-M, ether manager. <laughs> the next station is ether management. <laughs> Mind the gap between the cart and the platform. You have a quite good English accent, to be fair. Thank you. I live there. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. And Sienna is the observer. Sienna, instead, is the observer on the Earth. So the person doing the cool. experiment. The brilliant physicists. And I'm just measuring the speed of Beth and Alistair. Yeah. I love it. I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And so scientists were looking at this ether and saying if it was moving, it would affect the light. It would either make it go faster or hinder it and make it seem almost stationary or slow it down and stuff yeah exactly so then 
In the 1880s, this clever American physicist called Albert A. Michelson designed this clever experiment to test this theory. So he designed what's called an interferometer, which measures the interference of two light beams. Interference is what happens when two light beams come together. So this is the thing that we said with the puddles and the water waves and, and yeah, and when they add up or they delete each other. I don't know if you can delete a water wave, but anyway. So if different if different waves are travelling at different speeds or if they have started at different points, then you will see um, interference, which means that they won't look like the same wave anymore. They'll in some places they'll be higher than before, in some places they'll be lower, and in between they'll look just funny. Like they'll have multiple peaks and multiple troughs at different, mm-hmm. perhaps at different amplitudes and that kind of thing, and it will just look different from from how you expect. So Mickelson said. What happens if we get a beam of light that should look the same and we see what happens if if we send it through two different if we send it in two different directions in theory it should look different okay I, as I think I understand it so basically if you send a beam in two different directions if the ether is traveling in one direction it's going to affect yeah those two beams differently it's like if Beth, you're on the cart, and Sienna, you're also on the cart, and we can just have a objective observer, observer, <laughs> observer. Um, who can be who can be Ellison, who did our music? Check him out on Bandcamp. Bandcamp slash Ellison. Um, so I'm pulling the cart, let's say north, and Sienna, yeah. you run north, and the cart's huge. It's like the size of a stage, mm-hmm. and so I don't know how I'm pulling this. I got super strength, super buff. Guys, I've been working out. Uh, look at this. <laughs> look at my bicep. Anyway. Um, I'm pulling the cart north, Sienna, you start running north, mm-hmm. and Beth, you run west. If the cart is being pulled north, Sienna, you're going to look like you're going north faster. Yeah. And Beth, you're going to look like you're not moving faster, because you're going west, so you'll just be moving at the rate that the cart is moving. In, in the north direction. With yeah. respect to an observer that is looking yeah, yeah. If, if the observer is looking west. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Hopefully that makes sense to our listeners. I hope I hope that it does. Basically, that's this experiment that this guy... Yeah, so this guy sends a laser beam in one direction. And a laser is basically... The really important thing about a laser is that all of the light is coherent. So all of the light is in phase. It all has the same frequency and it's all all of the peaks and all of the troughs line up and they're all at exactly the same point. So he sends this light through a half-silvered mirror which transmits half of the light in the same direction that it was going before mm-hmm. and reflects half of the light at a 90 degree angle. Okay. So, like Alice was saying, half of the light goes north and half of it goes west, for mm-hmm. example. And... At the ends of the device, essentially, he's got a mirror at the end of each arm. Mm -hmm. So there's a mirror in the northerly direction, there's a mirror in the westerly direction. And those bounce the light back towards the half-silvered mirror, Mm -hmm. which 
is a very clever object which then recombines the the light mm-hmm. and sends it in the f- in the direction of the fourth cardinal point. So let's say we started from the south, we sent it north. Mm-hmm. Half of it goes north, half of it goes west. They bounce back, they get recombined, and they go east. Cool. To be detected. Fancy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very fancy. And when I get on to talking about LIGO, hopefully in another episode very soon, um, the gravitational waves detection will surely talk about the engineering challenges involved in that. So these two arms, the northerly arm and the westerly arm, are the same length. And so you expect the light to have travelled the same, what's called an optic path, Mm -hmm. which means that they've travelled the same Mm -hmm. distance and nothing strange, nothing different has happened to, to either branch. Okay. Except the only difference is that one of them's gone north and one of them's gone west. So if there's an ether that's traveling with respect to the earth or yeah that the earth is traveling through Mm -hmm. you would expect one of these beams of light to be boosted to have more speed in the direction that the ether is traveling through compared to the other one which wouldn't see any difference Mm -hmm. so Mikkelsen shoots these light beams in these orthogonal directions he recombines them and he sees what comes out and if they've gone gone through the same optical path so if they've gone the same distance at the same speed, then he expects to not see any interference, or at least the interference should be constant. The ripples would align with each other exactly, essentially. Exactly. Exactly. Or if the, um, if the lengths of the arms were different, then he would see slightly different uh, positions of the troughs and the, and the peaks and maybe they wouldn't add up quite exactly but like it would be the same every time basically mm-hmm. if instead he if instead the earth is moving through the ether as he changes his um, the direction of the setup and as the earth processes around the sun then the lengths of each of those two paths will or the the optical path length so that means the amount of time that the light has taken to to go to and fro will have changed mm-hmm. so therefore the peaks and the troughs won't align in exactly the same way anymore and um, and that was the signal that he was expecting to see so he did one experiment in i believe 1886 which ended up being inconclusive mm-hmm. So then in 1887, he called a, called a colleague on, on board, Mr. Morley, um, Edward W. Morley, and they improved their technology. So what they, one of the things that they did was to have the experiment floating on um, sandstone, I think it was, in some mercury, so that they could like turn it around and also not be not have interference from the traffic of the time which was like mm. horses and carts and stuff like that so <laughs> um if they were that sensitive to that kind of traffic just imagine what ligo has to deal with today and ligo is this big experiment buried underground that does interferometry looking for gravitational waves thank you that's <laughs> that one so they improved their their experimental technique but they still found a null result 
they found that the difference in path length did not depend on the direction of these two arms. Mm. So it wasn't that if if one faced north and one faced west that they got a different interference signal from if one faced northwest and one faced southwest. Mm-hmm. They saw the same thing. And that, that was weird because that wasn't the sign that they were expecting from the ether, mm-hmm. from a traveling ether. And so they were forced to conclude along with, you know, some other experiments were done afterwards that this ether didn't really exist. It wasn't, there was no such thing as a traveling ether. Mm-hmm. As we've said before, the, the idea of um, a stationary ether or, or I suppose a maximally dragged ether that was essentially stationary with, with respect to the Earth because it was traveling along with the Earth, mm-hmm. that didn't add up with other signs. And so eventually we were forced to get rid of the idea of the ether. No. <laughs> but I just learned what it was. Is this loss? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Sienna. But that was one of the reasons why I wanted to... One of the... One of the at least two reasons that I wanted to put this experiment and LIGO in the same episode was because it kind of bookends Einstein mm. in a way. Mm. Because... This result, along with other things, suggested that there's no, there's nothing for light to travel through, and so light always travels at the same speed because there's nothing to speed it up. At least in a vacuum, there's nothing to speed it up. There's mm-hmm. nothing to slow it down. Mm-hmm. So it always travels at the same speed. Oh, interesting. So that's why light is yeah. a constant. The speed of light is constant. One of the reasons, yeah, yeah, one of the reasons. I was wondering about how that would fit into it if the ether could speed up and slow down the light. I was like, but we can't because we know the speed of light. We do mm-hmm. now. How could we do now? Yeah, and but we didn't back in the nineteenth yeah, century. Yeah, exactly. And so Einstein comes along and is like, well, let's just say that the. In fact, this is one of the interesting things. I remember when we were talking about quantum mechanics. And I talked about Sean Carroll. And I was saying how he was a really good speaker on quantum mechanics. And one of the things that he has said, I can't remember the the person who who originally came up with this theory, but quantum mechanics is obviously a, a difficult, difficult topic that nobody quite understands properly. But the many worlds theory, which, which, is maybe gaining traction is the idea that we know all of the quantum mechanics and that's fine like you can follow these equations and then stop and you don't have to add anything new onto the end and that's kind of what Einstein did was that he said well okay let's assume that the speed of light is constant what happens then let's just say that it is let's not try and change it let's just say that the speed of light is constant what are the logical conclusions of that theory? Mm-hmm. Mm. And then the maths is not that complicated after that, or at least for special relativity, you can then derive why space and time have to, have to change, why you get time dilation and length contraction and why 
if I'm running really fast, time looks different to me than it does to, to Alistair, who's really lazy and not going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Rude of you to assume that I'm so lazy, but accurate. So that was one of, one of the things that Einstein was... And then, of course, he developed general relativity, which is a different thing again. But one of one really important thing about science is that you can make really important discoveries and some of the most intelligent things that you can say are full stop, you know, that's it. Yeah, okay. I think that's really cool that, like, these early experiments in the 1800s kind of as you said, bookend with Einstein and his... Yeah. Like, we, it still holds true today. And so, yeah. Can I just ask one more question? Like, what you were saying about this is why we have the, like, multiple worlds theory, which is getting more what popular known, I guess, in popular culture, is because what if Einstein had found that light wasn't a constant and then we had a world with a different one, or what? No, it was... We do have relativistic quantum mechanics, so... In the end, quantum mechanics is also related to special relativity, but it was meant to just be like a different example of somebody being like, this is how the world is, and if this is how the world is and we don't decide to fight with the world about it, then what happens? Mm. So like using using yeah. the multi-world theory as an example, but also saying that Einstein didn't necessarily prove that light was constant, he said light is constant, now what? And exactly. how does, how does yeah. everything else order around that? Yeah. And can I find something that doesn't work with constant light that can disprove this theory? And yeah. you've still yet to find something, evidence mm-hmm. to show that light does not have a constant velocity. Yeah, um, that was a really good explanation. And I would say that I don't know of anybody who's trying to prove that light that the speed of light is not a constant like it's just Hmm. we're now so certain that it works that we're just like yep we're fine with that like it's just like one of those things that's so convenient that why would you try and fight it you know yeah it works so well with everything yeah but not to get too poetic that's kind of oh god my voice is really going um (laughs) are you like a 13 year old boy (laughs) Um, (laughs) not to get too poetic but that's kind of a thing that I really like about science is that we have these theories and we have ideas about how the world works and we're very confident in a lot of these but if someone were to come along and prove it wrong that would be groundbreaking like we accept that you know if you can prove that light is not constant that would be amazing and you like a lot of scientists would challenge you on it but if you can prove it that is, and same with like evolution and stuff. I know, like Bill Nye says yeah. that that's one of the great things about evolutionary theory is it's a, the best theory that we have going, mm-hmm. and we, as scientists, like we accept challenges to our theories. It's just that evolution and the speed of light, like these are theories that have not been proved wrong in a long, long time. And I mean, like right. maybe you wouldn't even necessarily need to prove light as a constant wrong because it hasn't necessarily been proven right. You would just need to develop a model that works better to explain the physics of this world where light is not a constant than the one we currently have. Yeah. Yeah, so in that sense, it would 
show that special relativity is an is a simplification, is an oversimplification mm-hmm. of something, in some measurable way. What is way. special relativity? Because you keep saying it, but I don't have no clue what that is. Beth. Oh my goodness! <laughs> I'm so sorry. Okay, special relativity is a whole episode, but but in summary, special relativity is based on the theory that the speed of light is a constant and therefore everything else has to be relative so distances have to be relative and times have to be relative you can't say that the distance between Alistair, no, between Sienna and her ice cream is 10 meters you have to say in the rest frame, in the frame where Sienna is at rest, the distance between Sienna and her ice cream is 10 meters. But in the frame where Sienna and her ice cream are moving away from me at 0.9 times the speed of light, the distance between Sienna and her ice cream is different. I think it's less. It would be lower than mm. 10 meters. Does that make sense? So if, if Sienna and her ice cream were moving away from you at 90% the speed of light, yeah. the distance between them with respect to you, Beth, would be less. The distance... The, if I, if they were moving away from me at 90% the speed mm-hmm. of light and I measured the distance between them, then I would measure the distance between them to be less than mm. if Sienna measured the distance between her and her ice cream. My question is, why is Sienna's ice cream 10 meters away from her? We don't know <laughs> that she loves ice cream, and it would be, like, in her mouth. <laughs> also, like, why, yeah, like, true. yeah, where are my arms in this scenario? Like, I pictured <laughs> myself holding it in, like, a 10-meter-long arm. Like, this is hor- horrifying, horrifying picture to uh, think sorry, about. Sienna. It's my 10-meter-long arm holding my ice cream all the way away from my face. <laughs> um, talking about this makes me think of the movie Interstellar, and when they go through the black hole, and everything warps and becomes really, like... I mean, that's actually a really great... I think it's a great movie. Read me for fake science. But they did a lot of research into, like... Yeah. Relativity and... I've heard that the science of Interstellar yeah. is meant to be quite good. But I've never seen the film, so I can't really comment. Oh, it's a beautiful film. Mm-hmm. You should see it. Good. I'm glad right. we all agree that it's a good film. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that has explained something about what special relativity is. Has it, Sienna? I mean, I, yeah, I think so. I think I kind of grasped yeah. it. It's kind of... it's. Um, I mean, I'm not used to thinking about physics-y things, so to me it seems kind of like strange, like a strange conclusion to come to, but I guess the way physics views the world is just strange. So do we just assume light travels through nothing as a wave now? Do we just like have forgotten about, are, is anybody trying to solve the ether question or whether light has to travel through anything as a wave or are we just like fine with it doing its own thing? So light is an um electromagnetic waves so that means there has to be an electromagnetic field for it to travel through okay and one of the interesting things about maxwell's equations is that a changing electric field will create a changing magnetic field which will create a changing electric field which will create a changing magnetic field so that's how light can propagate itself basically so light rides off of its own waves basically yeah like it can just go and do its own thing it's it's able to do that it does also travel through space time 
which is not a subject that I'm an expert mm-hmm. in at all. But it does get bent by by bending spacetime, basically. So um, when you get a really, really massive object that like a black hole. warps spacetime, exactly like a black hole, that then the path that you see light taking changes. But its speed doesn't? But its speed doesn't. It moves at the same speed towards that black hole for eternity. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. But then there are some weird effects. Again, I've never studied general relativity. So general relativity is what happens when you get to very high masses and or like at least very high densities and where um, like very high gravitational fields basically. Mm-hmm where gravity becomes really important. So that's what happens with black holes, obviously. Yeah. And I've never studied any of that, so don't really know what I'm talking about. But, like, I have enough general physics knowledge to know that weird things happen when you get near to a black hole. So, like, time slows down and essentially stops eventually. And... Like, a lot of really weird things happen. Um, So, if you accidentally let go of your ice cream, Mm -hmm. Sienna, I'm really sorry, and it starts getting sucked into a black hole, Mm -hmm. then, as I understand it, eventually you will see that ice cream forever at the event horizon of that black hole. And it will just be sitting there as a constant reminder Mm -hmm. to you of the day that you (laughs) let go of your ice cream. (laughs) <laughs> so sad <laughs> wow yeah the universe is a cruel mistress would I really be able to see the ice cream stuck there or would like you have to be observing from within the black hole to see the time stop no from outside it would look like the time had stopped from inside I don't know and I don't even know whether that's kind of a question that makes sense like I don't know if you can so like all of the light that we see at the edge of a black hole is stuck there it looks like it's stuck there yeah yeah um really I tell you what I'm meant to be taking a course on general relativity in the autumn so if I do and if I understand something then maybe I can give you answers to these questions any physicists listening can email us at phd32b at gmail.com to enlighten Address your us. email to Sienna because she really wants to understand general relativity, yes. but no other part of physics. So, uh. <laughs> <laughs> Or you can address it to Beth and just give her a lesson in general relativity. She'll be very happy to hear you. <laughs> or you can address it to Alistair and he can forward it to either two of them. <laughs> <laughs> Shrug his shoulders and go, right, fine. So, do you have a quiz for us? I can create some kind of quiz for you. Okay. Will it be out of thin air, or will it be out of ether? (laughs) Um, This quiz is coming to you across the ether. Coming to you across (laughs) the ether. Before we get going, we obviously have to start with your buzzer sound. Oh, oh, I've got my buzzer sound. Okay, you go, Sienna. Mine's a ding, ding, ding. Oh, okay. Mine's... Which is the sound of a laser. (laughs) No. It is the sound of a laser. (laughs) Lasers don't make sound. That is the sound of a laser. Everybody knows that lasers make a sound, and it goes... Okay, thanks for letting me know. 
I feel so informed now. And then if there's interference when it bounces back, it's pew, 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 pew. <laughs> What? <laughs> but don't worry, mine doesn't have any interference okay. because it's not traveling through okay. it either. Okay, once Alice is finished firing, his days are everywhere. Question one. What is interference? Ding, ding, ding. Go, Alison. Interference is when you have two waves coming together, and they will either uh, add to each other, cancel each other out, or subtract from each other, and the waves and troughs of the wave combine in an interference pattern. Yeah. Sienna, do you have anything to add? Um... No, I think that was exactly what I was going to say. I think that's a very good answer. Mm-hmm. Okay, question number two. Who was the theorist who I said had done everything? Ding, ding, ding. And, yeah, go see him. Maxwell. Yeah. But not and what was the th- um Maxwell something else. And not the coffee. Yeah. And what was the theory that, that was so important in this? Uh, in this episode the theory of light as a wave he decided it was a wave yeah kind of um, <laughs> he chose for light <laughs> to be like, a wave do you know what it would be fun if um yes but what was the name of his set of equations or like what did they talk about this is what i'm asking it wasn't it that that light has both a magnetic component and an electric component yeah so the theory is the electromagnetic wave theory of light yeah let's go with that <laughs> i would have accepted electromagnetism but okay. i'm gonna give you both points yay okay i didn't remember that okay um what is an interferometer a machine Sienna started talking first, though. Yeah, but, but she didn't ring the buzzer. <laughs> That's a disqualification. <laughs> I know, but, like, I'm trying to give you equal amounts of points here. Like, I'm trying to give you participation points. And, um, and Asi, you're in the lead, so I have to give Sienna the, the next opportunity. What, what is this, <laughs> high school? An interferometer. This yeah. is a friendly group community pro- podcast alistair of course okay. we're here for I will, Sienna, I will let you um i will let you answer but i will correct you if you're wrong <laughs> god oh my god you're cancelled next okay um <laughs> oh i was cancelled a long time an ago an interferometer is a machine that is able to measure the interference of light and specifically there was that guy who invented the first one and yeah. mickelson alfred a mickelson yes um, Extra point. A.A. Mickelson, who invented the first one, and it was just like a cool setup of like a laser at one end that shot a beam north, or probably in a, in, a, in a cardinal direction, that hit a silver split mirror that split it into two separate cardinal directions, one at 90 degrees, not one at 80 degrees, so like north and west. And then there were two mirrors at the end of that, so they bounced back, hit the central silver split mirror again, which I think is the name for it, and then went the other way. The final cardinal direction, which is east in our example. Alistair, do you have anything to add? Yeah, Alistair, was I wrong? Are you going to correct me? I, actually, no. That was a <laughs> no. That was a, a perfect description of the first interferometer.
I just want to put in that they uh, that they floated it on sandstone a few years later to try the experiments and yeah, and mercury. Yeah, yeah, floated it on sandstone, sandstone and mercury. Sandstone yeah. and mercury, which you wouldn't be able to do nowadays. True. No one can get their hands True. on mercury. I was gonna say that must have been like a very oof yeah, experiment. Yeah, but this is like 1887. Dangerous. So mm. remember when people just used to handle yes. mercury and like toss it around and be like, oh, cool, liquid silver. Like, I mean, yeah, even I my mom has memories of, like, at least using mercury thermometers and, like, breaking them. My mom's held mercury in her hand. She yeah. said they did it in high school. They were, like, they'd play with it in their hands. That's so weird. Yeah. Not, like, all the time, but just, like, yeah. once. But, like, surely in small doses it can't be that um, Like, in, like expo- one exposure is probably not great, but it's not yeah. gonna yeah. kill you right then and there. I remember my yeah. uh, chemistry teacher yeah, had a vial, a, a sealed ampule of mercury with iodine crystals in it, and so it was this kind of purpley cool. colored crystal floating mm-hmm. in the liquid metal, and you could like you, could, you couldn't have it in your hand, but you could move it in this ampule sealed glass vial. That's cool. And yeah, That's It's, it's cool. a really, like, because it's heavy, right? It's a metal. So. Is mercury cheap? Um... I'm just wondering what all of these people were doing, just, like, walking around with mercury. It's probably pretty cheap. It can't be that expensive. It's used in thermometers, it right? can't have been that, because they made hats out of it, didn't they? Well, they used it, yeah, to dye hats, yeah. Wow. I thought it was to, like, have the, to make the band, but... I don't, I, I don't, I don't make hats, so... We're gonna need to call Hat Maker next um, for this podcast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> milliner, right? Isn't that what you call a, a Hat know. Maker? A what? A milliner. Um, anyway, the only thing that I wanted to correct from what you said, Sienna, was that the mirror in the middle is called a half-silvered mirror. Half-silvered, right. Not a yeah. silver split mirror. Anyways, I tried my best. I like your name better, Thanks. Sienna. <laughs> but that was the least important part of <laughs> what you said, so if you had to get anything wrong, it's like it was that. Yes. <laughs> Alistair, you're lagging behind. Do you want one more? Because I gave Sienna a bonus point for um, knowing Mickelson's name. That's true. I did get a bonus point, which means I'm in the lead. Do you do you want a bonus question? Sure. Give me give me some bonus points. Okay. Sure. All right. Let me see. How good is your memory? Can you remember the <laughs> other guy? involved in this experiment uh this is completely unfair because i'm not a biologist and cannot remember anything so (laughs) i kind of i think it was a name that started with a w um waldman um no but it did have a w in it no but um okay all right alistair i'll feed you the answer this is the guy that suggested they float the sandstone on the Mm -hmm. mercury it's it was the guy who was involved in the in the experiment in the improved experiment in which they floated the sandstone on the mercury. In 1887. Yeah. How about how about yeah. you give me points for knowing 1887? Um, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a point for knowing his name when you get there, and I'm gonna. Okay. How much how much ice cream does Sienna want? A lot. Okay, and if it's. A ton. Okay, keep going. A, a oh, she always wants. There's there's never enough ice cream, so she always wants. All of it. More. Yeah, so then... More, more, Morrison. Like, how does she want it? Like, how does the... How, like, what's the general suffix of an adverb? Est. She wants it the mostest. No. Lee. More. Morley. Morley. Oh. Yes. Thomas Morley. (laughs) David Morley. I don't know his name. 
Uh, Morley was fine. Morley. Yay, I get a point. Nicholson and Morley. Uh, so that's it. That is your episode. Well, Mickelson and Morley Interferometer was uh, the first... Mickelson Interferometer was the first yes. interferometer. And when Mickelson and Morley used it in 1887, they showed that light does not travel through an ether. Yeah, that was cool. That was exciting to find out. And that is that is the fact of the day. So... Thank you for listening to Not Yet a Doctor. My name is Beth. I'm Alistair. And I've been Sienna. And will continue to be Sienna. Depending on whether or not I'm on the edge of a black hole, probably. (laughs) And we recommend that you go and find Ellison on Bandcamp and listen to some more of his music. And we also recommend that you listen to more of our podcasts. And subscribe and stay tuned for episode two on interferometry and Sienna doesn't know anything about special relativity. Coming soon to a (laughs) podcast site near you.